Hello, and welcome to Mental Health Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Liz Lang, and I'm here with Dr. Mark Burton. In this podcast, we will talk about all things mental health. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey everyone, Liz Lang here with Dr. Mark Burton, and this week we are going to touch on common parenting problems. So to start out with, I'm going to run a scenario that I ran into last weekend that I thought might make a good topic of conversation. Okay. So my sister-in-law is in town and she has a four-year-old son and I have three kids female age eight, a female age five, and a son who is almost two. So those are the ages that we're working with. And it was bath time and we had these bath bombs and, you know, the kids were all excited. To oh, the it bath together. bombs. Those, those are big deal now. <laughs> they, yeah, they really are. And my kids oh, yeah. are, yeah, my kids are really excited. And so we thought, well, okay, we can just separate the boys and the girls because mm-hmm. my oldest is eight now and, and five and you know, her son is four. So we put the four-year-old and the two-year-old and anyways. So I thought, you know, we're separating them because that's kind of what's socially acceptable. That's the standard norm. But I mean, what age is too old, would you say, to to bathe together? And why does it really matter? You know, I mean, obviously, if if a kid wanted privacy, then yes, hands down, you give that kid privacy. Right. But, you know, I mean, if the kids don't care, should we as parents be concerned? I think so. I think that okay. they're, I think that, you know, they take their cues from us. So again, I realize that there are going to be probably some cultures mm-hmm. where it would be the norm to be okay to okay. be naked, yeah. even as adults. And, mm-hmm. and, but that's not the culture that we live in. Right. And so I, you know, we want to raise our kids to be able to function well mm-hmm. and get along within this culture. Right. So as far as the age, I don't know that you can say, well, this is the age. I think mm-hmm. that you do take your cue from the kids. Now okay. I can, I can't remember my own kids. That was too far away, but mm-hmm. my grandchildren, so my youngest is five and he's already in that space where he wants privacy. So, you mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think it's anything that the parents have done. It's just something for every child at some point, they start to notice, okay, I want to be private. So I think at that point, then like I would put the two, the boys together in mm-hmm. a bath, the, because this, the, well, the siblings are boy, you know, the brothers, I would do that. Right. Cousins. One's five, one's six. They're fine doing that. Mm-hmm. So I have two eight-year-olds, one a boy and one a girl. And sometimes they like to do that. We just have more swimming suits. Okay. So, yeah. And just the, for the girl, she just puts on the bottoms of the swimming suits. And so mm-hmm. they can have that fun, but clearly they would be uncomfortable. And I think as parents, you know, we'd probably be uncomfortable too. I think you want to help them learn I guess the word would be modesty or privacy. I don't know what uh, what word yeah. would be best used for that. Both. Yeah, that, and that's not a bad thing to help children okay. learn. But I think that every kid is different. And this mm-hmm. is one of the, and, and I actually think in some of these other topics we're going to get to, mm-hmm. as a parent, you have to use that 
your parenting instinct, which some of us may think we have or not have, but Mm -hmm. you know, you kind of know your kids well. Right. And I think you can say, okay, this doesn't work for my child. And even though you might get pressure, say from a a sister or, Mm -hmm. you know, the parent, they all, it's fine. I would always go with what you think as the parent is right Mm -hmm. for your kid and what you're comfortable with. And with things like this, I don't think I'd ever bow to pressure because the, I I think that's a a really not a good message to send Mm -hmm. to kids. And so, and where this all came from in my head is surrounding, I guess, overall big picture thinking about nudity and sexuality. And I don't want my kids to be uncomfortable with nudity or uncomfortable with their sexuality when it becomes appropriate. And, you know, and I think that in a sense, normalizing the human body is a good thing, but I think there might be better ways of doing that. I mean, I can still remember the first time I saw, I was in high school and I saw it was my biology book and it was male genitalia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't actual real, it was a drawing. Right, drawing, sure. Yeah, you know, and, and I think one of the, one good way to maybe help normalize children is if they happen to see something, don't make a big deal about it. Um, I remember, you know, my parents, and I, not that they, they, what they did was wrong, but they made this really big deal about, you know, privacy in the shower and, uh-huh. and, you know, which is a good thing, but if there's an accidental glimpse, don't make a big deal about it. And my kids come find me when I'm in the shower mm-hmm. because I've got three of them and I just don't make a big deal. I just say, Hey, I'm in the shower. Go, you know, right. and don't make a big deal. So I agree with that. And I think that really what happens, it's the parent's attitude and right. kids, kids are so, so good at picking mm-hmm. up those little nuances and yep. they can tell either that the parent is uh, wigged out about it, or it's really easy to transfer shame, the idea of shame. Mm-hmm. And so in answer to your question about how do you do this? I think it's about talking about it. So it's yeah. not, I don't think you teach that necessarily that the body is okay by walking around naked. I, I don't uh-huh. think that's the way you do it. Yeah, I, I think agree. it's, I think it's more about, we can talk about this. I can answer your questions and I'll answer mm-hmm. them in an age appropriate way. I also think that it's really important for parents to talk to their kids about sexuality early on mm-hmm. in an age appropriate way. And I know that Lindy would certainly agree with that because we've talked about it and we've yeah. talked about how important that is and to use the correct names Yes. Uh, for body parts, I think mm-hmm. is also important. And I think that what happens is you can, in, in those books, there are a lot of great kids books mm-hmm. uh, around sexuality. So it's not like parents have to just go off on their own and do this. Yeah. I would get, I would get a book, read through it on your own, see if you like it. Yeah. That's first. important too. Right. Yeah. And if you agree with what's being taught and then, you know, present it to the kids, talk about it. And uh, again, something you said, you don't make it a big deal. Mm-hmm. If the kid doesn't want to talk about it, fine. But at some, at, at least they know that the parents are comfortable talking about it. And I think that's the important thing. Yeah. And I remember when I, when I had the conversation of the birds and the bees and well, it was first explained to me by a friend who knew okay. and, and didn't keep her mouth shut. And, uh-huh. <laughs> and she just blurted it out. And I thought, oh yeah, that makes sense. Actually, that makes a uh-huh. lot of sense. 
the next day my dad goes, um, I think you need to have the talk with Elizabeth because she was told and it just felt really awkward. And I think a lot of it was, I don't know, my parents just didn't know how to talk to me about it. But anyways, how old were I, you? I was like seven or eight or probably oh, okay. eight or nine. Actually, that's a pretty good age. That's not a bad age to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know I briefly touched on it with my oldest because she asked and I just said, well, this is what it is. Yeah. And I, you know, I just, I, I use terms. I kept it simple and she goes, okay. And we've never talked about it again because see, she's it, never asked. Right. But at some point she probably will, mm -hmm. but see, that's the right. I think that's the correct way to handle it is you respond to the question. You aren't embarrassed. You don't, you know, there's no shame involved mm -hmm. and you follow their lead. Yeah. And then, you know, when they're done, they're done. Yeah. And so it's going to be, uh, this is important for listeners. It's going to be a much bigger deal for the parents than it is for the kids. Yeah. When you talk about it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. yeah. Because I mean, sexuality should be a private thing. Right. I've always thought of that sex shouldn't be secret. It should be talked about appropriately, you know, I right. mean, because it's, it's, it's special. But you see, there's a very big difference between secrecy and privacy. Yes. Those are not the same things. Yes. And exactly. so it's not secret, but it can be private. Yes. And I think that I mean, this is a whole different subject, but something you mm -hmm. said triggered this thought in my mind. We tend to sexualize young children in so many ways. And I have a particular beef around the little girl beauty pageants. I don't know. Uh, you... uh, toddlers in tiaras. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, Hopefully I, we don't get in trouble for that. Oh, well, I, what, I mean, we have to be able to speak out against it because I agree. it's not okay. I don't think, yeah. I think part of the problem is we uh, sexualize young children way too early. And, yeah. and so I, but I think that the counter to that is parents talking about it openly in an appropriate age, appropriate way mm -hmm. where you don't convey shame and you just say, you know what, this is private. It's not secret. It's private. That's, mm -hmm. and, and I think that's an important thing to help your children understand too, the difference between secret and private. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. So, okay, let's move on to some other topics that I have here on my handy dandy list. Okay, so, so can I say something before you do that? Yes. In preparation for this, I think I've I've probably said I know this book and I think I think I probably talked about it last time and I could not remember the name. I've got it in front of me. Okay. And I reviewed it and this is going to be I think a great book for parents. Okay. It's called Positive Discipline, A to Z, okay. 1001 Solutions to Everyday Parenting Problems. Now, I want to acknowledge that there are, if you, if you were to go to Amazon and look for Positive Discipline, this group, it's a group of authors, has created, oh, quite a few different books, okay. like one, one specific for the first three years, preschoolers, adolescents, teenagers. This book, though... Positive Discipline A to Z, 1001 Solutions, is different than the others okay. in that if you go into their table of contents, it I, I think every problem that you have on your list mm -hmm. is listed in here okay. as its own separate section. Okay. And so this is not a book that I would say, okay, parents, you need to read the book right. uh, cover to cover. <laughs> I think when you encounter an issue, you go to the book and you say, okay, I want to 
you know, talk about mealtimes or bedtimes is one we're mm-hmm. going to cover or toilet training, things like that. It will have a section on it. I really like it. I think, and, and I'll be referring to it, you know, throughout our, our conversation this evening, but I, I would suggest any parent of young kids who wants some help, get that book. It's really yeah. good. I will have it linked in our show notes okay. so okay. that people can find that. Okay. So let's go down to the topics you want to talk about. Yes. So eating and surrounding food, and these are problems that I often run into with, with my own kids is kind of where this list is coming from. So I have one hand, my oldest daughter, who, if I don't remind her to eat, she would probably starve because she just gets busy and she would happily play with friends all day and starve herself before she sits down to eat a meal. Whereas my second daughter, I feel like she constantly wants to eat. And it's Mm -hmm. like, are you hungry? Are you bored? Where is that line? And how can you tell? I mean, obviously, you can look it up from a nutritional standpoint. But then there's all these other factors of, is this an emotional thing? Is this a growth spurt? Right. You know, I've talked with my daughter. I think I've mentioned I have a daughter who is a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. And so I think the first thing to do if you're concerned about the amount of food that your child's eating is to consult with your pediatrician to get an mm-hmm. idea okay. of how to handle that. I also think that as parents, we have a lot of control. I think you and I were talking about this another week after the the podcast is that how do you tell if a kid is just bored? And I think I mentioned I, ha- I have two grandsons who when they're bored... They say I'm hungry. So it's their, Mm -hmm. it's kind of their go-to thing. I think it's hard to say, oh, you're just bored. Go do something else. They don't care. They don't care. But see, see, as as parents, I would control what they eat. And so if you, if they want a snack, here are your choices. You can have apples, carrots. What did I write down? Apples, carrots, not junk food. So they're going to say, oh, mom, I want a cookie. I wouldn't do that. You know, at that point, because then. You might be able to determine if they're bored or not, but I think oftentimes you can't. Mm -hmm. So if they want to eat, have an apple, have apple slices. That's a good way to do it. Something like that. And so you control what they eat because they may say, oh, I'd love a granola bar or something like that. But Mm -hmm. what that is, that's that's just kind of a nice way to talk about snack food or junk food. Right. I think mostly. Yeah. So uh, raw food, things like, I don't know if you have any other other ideas about what uh, you could eat, but I think. That's what I would do. Oftentimes, too, I had a friend who, when her kids would keep saying over and over they're hungry, she would say, take a drink of water first, because a lot of times we confuse thirst with hunger. Right. right. Don't and yeah, even I, do that. I, I think so. And I think that that is not a bad habit to mm-hmm. get into for children is to to drink first and then decide. I mean, the, yeah. so Wait there are minutes. ways. Yeah. And there, and and then you can say if you're still hungry in ten minutes, and I've got this apple you can eat. And okay. So yeah, I think that's a a great idea. So I think I'd be really hesitant as a parent to give any indication you're eating too much food. Okay. I think that's probably yeah. not a good message to give to a child. I would just control what it is they're eating. Okay. I think and, is the better way. And talk to them about eating healthy foods versus. Right junk right. food and say, right. taking care of your body. And right. one of the and ways just, we take care of our bodies is to eat healthy food and not to eat too much. 
food. Right. And so just don't let them at snack time, just don't let them eat the junk food. I think I'm I'm not saying that, you know, have a dessert or a cookie. I mean, that's not a bad right, thing. Right. I think as parents, we get to control when that is. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's uh, that's really good. Okay. So this is a battle that I feel like we've, for the most part, got nailed down. And that is the bedtime battle. But I know <laughs> a lot of parents go through this and it can be maddening. I remember sleep training my daughter at age three because uh-huh. uh, we were at a time in our lives where Curtis was working until 10 PM and I was really pregnant. And so I was doing bedtime on my own and I'm looking at our bedtime routine thinking this isn't going to work when I have a new baby, we have to do something. I have to get her to be able to go to bed independently, but she would just fight it and mm-hmm. fight it and fight it and fight it. And so we used a sticker chart because yes, worked really well. And so if she stayed in her bed by herself, she got a sticker and we kept it simple. We had two rules. The light needs to stay out and you need to stay in your room. And then once the baby came, it was be quiet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't, don't wake the baby. Don't be too loud. Those are the three rules. And for us that worked really well, but that might not work so well for other parents. Well, I think that again, so I I have two daughters and they each have two kids and the pediatrician did the sleep training uh, with her kids at age six months. Mm -hmm. Those kids are amazing sleepers. Interesting. Um, Whereas the others are really terrible sleepers. I think sleep training earlier rather than later. But again, I would, I would consult with your pediatrician first just to get their take on it. I think that's always a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. And typically pediatricians are going to have ideas about sleep training. I think that one of the mistakes parents make is giving in to their kids. And so if your child ends up in your bed, Mm -hmm. you know, at night, I don't think you need to get angry about it. You just, you know, gently say, no, you go back and this is where you sleep. Mm -hmm. Another mistake that I think parents make is they lie down with the child as they fall asleep. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, it might make it easier for the child to fall asleep, but that is not what you're wanting to do. You're wanting to help the child learn to fall asleep on their own Mm -hmm. because often what happens, you've been there and the child has fallen asleep. If they wake up and you're not there, then that throws them off a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think it is important. And I think this, I looked at the the book I just referenced and they have certainly a thing about bedtime where they <clears throat> mention a couple of these things that a routine. So yes. when you, t- when you talked about the chart, often that's about a routine and this author suggested outline it. So with like even stickers, we did mm-hmm. this, we brushed our teeth. Kids really thrive on routine. Mm-hmm. And because it gives them a sense of safety and they know what to expect. The other thing that this author brought up, which I thought was important, is that often kids wanting to stay up is really about them wanting the attention of the parent. And so yeah. I think that if you can give them some focused attention, uh, for instance, here's what uh, I think both my daughters do this. Here are the list of things you need to do to get ready for bed. And if you do them within this amount of time, then we'll read our story. Or Mm -hmm. you might even get a second story or something like that. Mm -hmm. So you give an immediate reward that the kid likes. Now, also what you're doing with the story and reading is you're giving them attention, you know, and lying there. So it's not that you can't lie down on the bed with your kid. I think that's a really nice time, actually. Kids uh, love to snuggle. To, yeah. And so, you know, the snuggling is really an important part of bedtime. 
Yeah. So, so I just want to clarify when I said, don't lie down and go to sleep with them. That's, that's a whole different thing. Yeah. You know, it's time to go to bed. I'll lie here till you go to bed. I would not do that, but I would yeah. definitely give them the attention, the snuggling, the bedtime. You make it, you make it a connection time. I think mm -hmm. now there's certainly going to be times when you aren't going to be able to do that. But I think if you do that more often than not, then the kid knows, okay, this is, this is our time together. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that kids sleeping in their parents' bed is a real mistake. Mm -hmm. And here's where it catches up with you. A, a lot of adolescents have trouble with sleep. Okay. And it's one of the things that is really difficult because Lack of sleep makes everything worse, the anxiety, the depression, it things really like does. that. Yeah. And so if we can teach our children how to sleep well on their own in their own bed, mm -hmm. then that's a real great skill. Okay. Yeah. I want to acknowledge, however, there are some people in cultures where they practice what they call the family bed. Mm-hmm. Now that works in some cultures and I've had people, you know, here in the, in Utah talk about that and say, that's what they want to do. But again, it kind of ties into the, the nudity thing or the comfort with the body. Culturally, that's not something we do. Right. And so culturally we typically do not have the family bed. Now, yeah. if you're in a tribe in Africa, yeah, that's what you do. And that works. That doesn't mean it's going to work here though. Yeah, if you're 13 years old and still sleeping with your parents, you're going to be thought is really weird. And I heard a horrific story about that, a 12-year-old, and, and actually both parents were psychologists. Anyway, wow, yeah. that's all. anyway, it was shocking to me. I think you want to avoid that. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and my dad was a long-haul truck driver when I was younger, and there were some nights where I would have a sleepover with my mom every once in a while. But if you I make share... it something special, that's, yeah. uh, again, I think that's different. Yeah. I mean, shoot, when I was on vacation this summer, my mom and I were visiting people and there was only one bed. It was a queen size bed and we shared the bed and it wasn't yeah. weird at all. It was just, no. we, we needed a place to sleep. So if you're 13 and every night you're sleeping with your parents. Or you end up in your parents' bed because, I mean, that's what your habit is. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I would tend to agree. Okay. So, so learning, learning good sleep skills. Yeah. Really important. Do it earlier rather than later. Mm-hmm. Okay. So potty problems, and I've seen this with a couple of different parents and potty training, I feel like is a whole nother issue. I mean, let's just be honest for most parents, potty training is hell. I got, <laughs> I, got, I got really, really lucky with my first, I mean, it took us a day. That was it. And it was so easy. And then with my second, I mean, I felt like I was going to bang my head against a wall because it felt like we were never going to get it. Mm -hmm. So there, and, and potty problems can kind of stem from two different ones. I've seen parents who've had pee potty problems and who've had poo prop potty problems. And I've known parents who've had problems with their child who's still having poo accidents up as age of five or six, uh -huh. you know, or even seven. Right. And so again, I'm going to say to consult your pediatrician yes. often that not always, Often that is an indication of some sort of trauma. That's that's a common trauma response, but not always. I don't want parents to freak out. Right. I think that what parents need to realize is it's easy to turn this into a power struggle. Mm -hmm. And as a parent, you are not going to win that battle. 
No. And so don't, (laughs) it's just do not make it a power struggle. And so often it's about when is the kid ready Mm -hmm. and how you can encourage it. I think that the things we do can, you know, encourage the independence. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Sometimes it's based on like going to preschool. I think, I don't know what age, but they won't let kids in, you know, go to a preschool if they aren't Mm -hmm. trained. And so sometimes there's incentive for the child. But I think if you turn it into that power struggle, you're going to lose and the kid will just dig his his feet, his or her feet in. And Mm -hmm. that that's, I think, sometimes the source of accidents. Yeah. I will give one good tip that my husband and I have used that's worked really well for power struggles with potting is it's called a potty watch. Uh-huh. And, and what you can do is it's a watch that you can set a timer on it. And when it goes off, that means it's time to go potty. And it's worked really well for us in the past because it, it took well, the struggle out of it. So that, it, that it, makes it, a lot it, of sense. Here's why it makes yes. a lot of sense. It's taking, instead of the parent saying, you need to go potty now. Uh-huh you've externalized it in some way. And it's this thing is saying, okay, you've got to go potty now. And kids are, are much more receptive to that. They really than, are. Yeah. 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 But so, see, it's a, it, that's a bit, what you've done is you've avoided the power struggle. Mm-hmm. It's not mom yeah. saying you need to go potty. It's this thing saying, okay, it's time to go potty. I think that's a great idea. I talk about shame often. Mm-hmm. It's really important never to shame a child when they have an accident. I mean, that's yeah. pr- pretty normal. And you just matter of fact, you don't get angry. You don't shame. You just say, okay, let's clean this up and we'll mm-hmm. try again next time. And yeah, and especially so, early when you're, yeah. when you're potty training, that can be really hard when it's been a year and a half and mm-hmm. <laughs> you're still dealing with, with accidents. It's frustrating. It really is. Right. And I think that going back to your idea about charts with bedtime, I think you can do the same thing. I think kids, yeah. a lot of kids, not all kids, mm-hmm. a lot of kids respond really well to that incentive and having charts and goals, you know, cause they can see it. And if there's some sort of reward at the end, I think that helps motivate them. Mm-hmm. So. I took a cue from you one time and I asked my daughter, I said, what makes it so hard for you to go potty? You know, I asked her and I said, what instead of why? And she said, well, I'm playing and I'm having fun. That's so common. Yes. And it's just, she doesn't want to miss out. And Mm -mm. so we were able to come up with some solutions and. Right. And and that is such a good question. Cause then as a parent, you can say, you can give them that empathy. That's the John Gottman's emotion coaching because you can, as a parent, you can really empathize with that and you can say, yeah, "Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And this is the best, a good example of, but you don't need to then give in and say, okay, you don't need to do that. That's not what you do. You empathize and you validate and you say, let's figure out a solution. Yeah. Or bring up the fact that it takes even longer to go clean up the mess. That's right you know, bring in logic to it. See, Right. And so what have, what you can do again, don't, I wouldn't do this with shame, but you can say, I'm going to have you help me clean this up. Yes. Which then there's a consequence mm-hmm. to the behavior, which then takes them away from the plane more than if they would have just gone and, exactly. you know, the first time. So yeah. 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 Okay. Good. Good ideas. Yeah. Okay. So we are starting to run a little short on time. So I want to skip ahead to bullying. And I want to talk about this from a few different contexts, because Mm -hmm. 
anytime there's genuine repetitive bullying where a child is seeking out to harm or make another child feel demeaned in some way, if that is repeatedly happening, I'm just going to say a parent has to contact the school or the other parent, a parent has to intervene and advocate for their child when it's a genuine problem. But maybe they're just having conflict with someone at school. So one example is my daughter said, she's telling me about this girl at school who she didn't like. And she said that this girl had told her that she said that I run like a horse and she was up. She seemed to be upset about it. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, maybe she likes horses. Maybe that was a compliment. Maybe she likes the way you run and she thinks you run like a horse because she really likes horses. So Let's talk about that where how we can help kids to maybe try conflict resolution before we just jump in and contact the school and say, my kid's being bullied. Make sure that it's actual bullying going on and not just kids being kids. So in psychology, we call that a reframe. So you helped your, which is not a bad skill to learn Yeah, uh, because uh, this is a bit off topic, but really it's our perception of events that often well, that I'll, I'll always lead to our emotional mm-hmm. reaction to the event. And so if you can change your perception, which is what you did with your daughter, you know, maybe yeah. that's just called a reframe. Mm-hmm. So if you have the, what's the context? Are we talking about the child who is the bully or the child who is being bullied? Let's do both because I think both are equally important. And I've talked about this with with other parents before. If I ever caught wind that my child was picking on another child or being intentionally mean Mm -hmm. to another child, I would take serious issue with that. I would hope that a parent would tell me Mm -hmm. because that's a behavior I'd want to correct. So let's talk about ways to handle that and also ways to help our children stand up to conflict or if someone is bullying them or maybe they're watching someone be bullied, how we can help them maybe resolve that themselves. So I think if you have a child who you know is bullying, then you need to go into that emotion coaching mode because you you really want to figure out what's going on. And I I don't think there's one thing that causes a child Mm -hmm. to bully. I think it could be several things. One of the things that I've been aware of with kids who are bullying, often they see it in their parents. Okay. And so it's something that they've learned. That's not always true. Right. But it it is common. And so if you're trying to, for instance, if you're the parent of the child who is being bullied by this child and you want to go to the parents, that often isn't very effective because they're the parents who are actually almost reinforcing behavior, reinforcing that type of behavior. But again, that's not always the case. But I think if you're bullying, it's bullying is really about power. And so you want to help the child figure why is the child feeling powerless in this okay. moment or in that context now kids are generally powerless in the world except in the you know in that peer group mm-hmm. they should feel more equal so i'd want to do some sort of investigation to figure out what is going on in this kid's life is he being bullied is he being traumatized in some way is this is this slashing out which is mm-hmm. often the case kids you know kids they're experiencing some sort of event themselves ongoing event themselves and they don't know how to respond and mm-hmm. so the emotion or the anger we might call it get leaks out mm-hmm. in the form of bullying but you want to really be able to help your child figure out well as a parent you'd want to know what's going on so that you can solve the underlying 
issue mm-hmm. because I believe that kids with bully that, that are bullying, there's, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think always an underlying issue yeah. that, that yeah. you want to, I, I think that kids on their own do not generally bully other kids. Mm-hmm. I, I think agree. there's something else going on. And as parents, we need to figure out what that is. Yeah, I have a good example. So my daughter, who's eight, and she's got a couple of friends that she runs around with the neighborhood, and they kind of roam back and forth between each other's houses, because we all live close. And one day she came home kind of earlier than I expected. And she said, well, my friend said she wanted time with just another friend. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, okay, that's that's kind of odd. And I was, And so I was kind of trying to ask her questions about it. And before I got a chance, this these two other friends who had kind of excluded my daughter came running and saying, come play with us, come play with us. And I went and I kind of asked, I went and talked to the mom about it. And, and she goes, yeah, we had to talk. We had to have a talk about that because what had happened is uh, this friend, she, something happened where she kind of got confused or she was worried that playing with two friends for some reason in her mind, it was going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. But she clearly felt bad about the way she had treated my daughter. You know, she she felt bad about it. She genuinely felt like, I think I did something wrong and I need to go confess to my parents, who then helped her fix the problem. So I think you're right. I think kids don't inherently want to be mean. No. And the other thing that I think we've mentioned in previous podcasts is as parents, I think it's our, I think it's one of our primary job is to teach our children empathy. Yeah. And we learn empathy from our parents. And so that that situation you just described, what a perfect opportunity for the parents to then help the child understand empathy and try and put the put themselves in that emotional space of your daughter. How would Mm -hmm. that feel? And then all of a sudden they come and they do this repair. And what a what a great learning experience. And so I think Mm -hmm. the same thing is true for bullying that we have to help the child who's being the bully understand the emotional impact they're having on others. Yeah, absolutely. And and I talked to the parents about it and I said, you know, I, I appreciated that you sent her back because, you know, my daughter was upset and they said, yeah, it, it wasn't intentional, but they said that kind of behavior is absolutely not tolerated right. in our house. And I think for parents, it's important to establish that. And it was an honest mistake. You know, and obviously they're, they're still the best of friends. They still Mm -hmm. love playing together, but kids will take a cue from their parents. Right. And so I think even with my grandkids, we've had the situation where they'll do three on one, you know, and as parents and grandparents, it's our job to help them see that doesn't feel good. That's not okay. Mm -hmm. And so you can set except what is acceptable behavior for your children in your home with regards to their relationships with others. That's how they learn to be good in relationships. So if we talk about the kid who, the child who's being bullied, I think that for, this is a serious thing and we could probably spend a whole, you know, episode on internet bullying. And so we won't go into that because that is a real thing and Mm -hmm. very devastating for kids. I think that if you know your child is being bullied, Usually the problem is there's going to, the child who's being bullied is going to feel this power differential. Mm-hmm. And so they are, are, they aren't going to be powerful. So you might be able to say you can try and stand up to the bully, but often that just then inflames the situation and right. it might make it worse. So 
I think that if it's happening at school, I think the teachers need to be aware. And I think sometimes this is an important enough issue that I do believe parents need to get involved in an appropriate Mm -hmm. way. Now, that doesn't mean you... You grab your weapons and go running into the school and say, we got to do something about this. Uh I think it's how we approach it. But I also think it's a good message to a child who is feeling powerless, Mm -hmm. which is what it's going to feel like, that they have the advocate of the parent who's going to be in their corner and help them feel more powerful. Right. So I don't think that's a bad thing to step up for your kids. Now, if the child is an adolescent, then I think it's a different issue and you can maybe, you know, brainstorm some possible solutions. But again, you have to take into account what's the age of the child, what's the context in which the bullying is happening. And as a parent, what should my role be? And as Mm -hmm. the child gets older, that role changes. Right. And I think it's also important how you approach approach the teacher. I think it can be so easy as a parent to just get that, I guess you call it mama bear triggering effect, you know, where it's like, um, excuse me, this is my child and I'm not going to let anything hurt my child. So another good example I had, this was a couple of years ago, my daughter was telling me about this kid that she was interacting with. And there was just a couple of different situations that it happened with this child where I'm like, man, is, is there something going on? And so I reached out to the teacher and I said, I don't want to just say this kid is being a bully because it doesn't sound like that's his intent, but there's just a couple of different things that have happened that have me a little bit concerned. I just want to know that everything's fine. And I felt like she responded very appropriately. She said, you know, thank you for letting me know. I'll look into it. I'll keep an eye out. But she also reassured me that I know this child and this child, I don't think you have to worry about this child being a bully. I'm not concerned. And immediately I felt better. The teacher was aware and I felt like it was handled overall really well because I didn't go in guns playing and saying, Hey, this child is bullying my child. What are you going to do about it? Right. You know, I just brought attention to it. It's process. It's how we do it. It's how we say things. And so I I agree, you know, you go in gently and, I mean, I, I would certainly advocate for a child if it was really serious and nothing was happening over time. I then think I, I think I changed my response, but I to go to, to, but to go in initially in a soft way and say, Hey, you know, I'm concerned what's going on. I think that's the best way to approach it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. This has been a great conversation. I'm sure we will hit on it again. Tune in next time, guys, because we're going to talk about something completely different. We're going to talk about Alzheimer's and dementia. It should be great. So tune in. Bye, Liz. Have a good week. Bye. Have a question for Dr. Burton? How about a topic you'd like us to cover? Send us an email at mentalhealthpod21 at gmail.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Liz Lang. Music is by Audio Lounge. 